Guy goes to the club. He walks up. Bouncer looks at him, says, no tie, no entry. So he goes back to his car and gets a pair of jumper cables. And he ties the jumper cables around and he walks up to the bar, to the bouncer and goes, will this do? He goes, yeah, I'll let you in, but don't start anything. <laughs> See, we're talking about greatness, so I wanted to start off with a great joke. Was I successful? By the way, there are two rules for success. Don't tell everything you know. We're bringing this home this week. Come on. Wake up. Here we go. We're bringing this home this week. This definition of greatness, as initially observed through the story of the moon, which we studied in Genesis last week as we kicked off the Torah again. And it's centered on, what did it center on? I'll ask you. Greatness centers on, I'll tell you, diminishing. Becoming less. And we talked about that through the moon, through God's own choice to lessen his greatness, to create a world for us, for Adam to lessen his singular greatness, though that he would have an equally great partner. And if you missed last week, you can go back and listen for context, but hopefully you'll get something today because, you know, we have a couple of last looks here. And there's significant relevance for us in our community and a very practical application. There is a, a, there's a, a one pivotal moment of diminishing that had worldwide application. Israel is the chosen people. Now, anti-Semites and their ilk have never appreciated that idea, which has forced many, many a Jewish person to echo Tevia's words from Fiddler on the Roof. I know, I know we're your chosen people, but once in a while, can't you choose someone else? <laughs> but that concept is pretty stellar, really. It's pretty great that God selects a people. And granted... That selection is primarily in the merit of the patriarchs, but he brings a people out of bondage. He frees them from slavery. He redeems them with an outstretched arm. He takes them as his people to be their God, and he promises ultimately to bring them to their land. And among many other texts, it's laid out very clearly in Deuteronomy 7, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his personal possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So it's not hard to understand where the idea of chosen people comes from. God chose you as a people. Now, you want to talk about being considered great, top dog. There are covenants, there are amazing promises for doing the right thing, and yet... If we really understand what this greatness really means, it's not for Israel, actually, to a large degree. It's about responsibility to the world. 
It is about personal responsibility, taking upon yourself a Torah that guides you, that separates them from the nations who live in idolatry. And God says, don't be that that prohibits you from living a life as if there are no rules that puts you in relationship with God. But part of the greatness of that chosenness is actually to diminish one's own will. Being great in God's eyes is to diminish your own will. All of the things that you desire in your flesh are to be diminished and therefore to fall under God's instruction and commandments raises you up to take upon yourselves the yoke of heaven, to not live as reckless hedonists or kings or queens, but as servants of the Most High. That's a part of being chosen, is to diminish yourself and the things that you think are best for you. both as an example to the children of Israel, but here's the other part, and to the nations of the world. And in that example, God has called Israel great among the nations, that in placing themselves under the yoke of Torah, in diminishing their own desires or attitudes of superiority, that they might attract the nations to God. That's a huge part of the calling of being a chosen people. Deuteronomy 7 continues, The Lord did not make you as beloved, nor choose you because you were greater in number than any of the peoples, since you were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers. It wasn't because Israel was great, but it was because God knew that they had the capability of diminishing themselves to his will and shining a light to the nations that they might also be included. Deuteronomy 4. See, I have taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me. That is Moses, by the way, saying that, who is a guy who knows a thing or two about diminishing himself for the sake of others. Yes, a lot. See, I've taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me. And that you are to do these things in the land where you're entering to take possession of it. So keep and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely the great nation is a wise and understanding people. Do you get it? It's not so that Israel can be elevated onto some supreme pedestal. And there's all kinds of rabbinic writings, particularly over the Middle Ages, where Jews were being tortured, forced conversions, killed, maimed, mutilated, all kinds of things where the rabbis speak very ill of Gentiles and say they have no part in the world to come. There's all this other kind of stuff. But, but if we take that out and understand the context, this is a part of Israel's chosenness, to diminish themselves that the world might come in. That's powerful, and it still matters today. It can be a very, very lonely calling but you understand, Israel, your chosen greatness is not greatness of superiority or lording over or considering yourself better than anyone else, but of community and connection. Hashem will be the sun, you will be the moon. 
both great, both great in our unique roles, and we will reflect his light. And once again, once again, this is not a surprise. It's the one who diminished himself completely who made this possible, right? Ephesians 2, remember you formerly who are Gentiles in the flesh and called uncircumcised by the so-called circumcision, remember that at that time you were separate from Messiah, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You had no greatness. You weren't included. You weren't a part of the plan. But Messiah diminished himself. And you who are once far away, have been brought near through the blood of Messiah. And this beautiful calling and relationship of distinction carries right over into today, where healthy Messianic Jewish communities are found. Healthy Messianic Jewish communities. There is no superiority. There is no hierarchy. Jews and Gentiles, one in Messiah, both called by God of God, united in mission and calling to repair the world for the coming Messiah. Each of us functioning in a unique God-given role of greatness. And as I said before, there is nothing in the world wrong with the desire for greatness. Even Muhammad Ali, Mr. Greatness himself, said, service to others is the rent you pay for your room here on earth. That's one way to say it. We have a Messiah, a teacher, who said it in a much more familiar way to us. But as for you, don't be called rabbi, for only one is your teacher, and you are all brothers and sisters. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for only one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called leaders, for only one is your leader, that is Messiah. But the greatest of you shall be what? Servant. The greatest of you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. And as is so often the case, guess what? There's nothing new under the sun. I could have said this uh, 4,000 words ago. I could have told you, hey, guess what? Yeshua said you shouldn't exalt yourself, and if you really want to be great, you should be lower. But what kind of sermon is that? I mean, I got to get, you know, got to keep you sitting here for two and a half hours, right? We know this. Our master has spoken throughout the Gospels. And you know, the disciples didn't even get it. After the transfiguration, remember what they were doing? They were arguing about who's going to be great. It was the three. It was the three who were a part of the transfiguration. We just, this is coming up or we just talked about in Torah Club. I can't remember. But Peter, James, and John, they can't reveal what they've seen, but they, they sort of, I think, feel a higher sense of rank. Yeshua brought us up to the mountain. Guess what we saw? Moses and Elijah. Guess what? We're great. I know, but I'm greater than you. No, I'm the best. And they're walking, and they don't know Yeshua's hearing them, and he's hearing everything, and he says this question. He's such a, he's such a, hey, what were you talking about back there? And what's his response? They shut up because they're embarrassed and they know he heard them now. And what does he say? He says, the one who will be greatest in the kingdom 
is the one who is the servant of all in this age. That's great, according to Yeshua. The greatest, and by greatest, he means the best, the most valuable, the one who diminishes themselves for the sake of others. This is the message of how to live healthy in this world. Now, imagine, imagine in this great world of God's creation, inhabited by, guess what, us, his greatest creation. Did you know you are that? God considers you greatest. We must understand and act upon John the Baptist's definition of greatness. You remember what it is? It's very simple and very profound. He must increase. I must decrease. But that doesn't just apply to Yeshua. The reality of life is it applies to everyone around you. That's where greatness is. That's where happiness is. Community. Commonality. That we agree like the moon in our Midrash to diminish that the world might benefit. And we rejoice whether sun or moon, Adam or Eve, Jew or Gentile. We rejoice in our unique role of diminishment. Listen, greater love hath no man, according to the King James, right? Hath no man. What does that mean? Let's learn from our rabbi. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that a person will lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. There is no greater love than this. What does he mean? Well, of course he means laying down his life, giving up your life for someone else. And there he did that. And there are other people who still do that today. Firefighters, police officers, soldiers, all kinds of people in various roles who do that. But there's an even more applicable meaning because the truth is, God forbid any of us are asked to lay down our lives. We might, but God forbid. But there's, an, there's, there's a, more, a, a more applicable daily part of that. He is speaking of giving your life, but it doesn't mean dying necessarily. It can also mean giving up some of yourself every day to someone else. Greater love has no man or woman who would diminish themselves for another to put your interests second. It doesn't have to be all the time. That would be great if we just walked around. Who can I serve? Who can I serve? Hey, you need something? Can I help you? Can I help you? That's not humanity. We have a desire and things that we need to do, but if our greater priority was on others, and I know, listen, I'm thinking of myself sitting in your chair right now and I'm thinking, I come to the Messianic Synagogue because I want to get some deep knowledge. I want to learn about the Torah and I want to learn about the Midrash and I want you to tell me why there are two Yuds in this particular... Okay, fine. We'll do that another time. This is for life right now. This is the key to happiness. It's that simple. Serve others as you follow the commandments, the teachings of our Messiah. And in the process, you become great. 
in the eyes of your father, in the eyes of your Messiah, in the eyes of your husband or wife or friend. And guess what? In your own eyes, because it feels great to wake up in the morning and know that your priorities lie outside of what you see in the mirror. The Torah cycle, as we know, started last week. The moon is the lesser of the greater lights. Hashem surrendered his bit of greatness, for all of, a lot of his greatness for us. Adam, Israel, Yeshua. Surely we can follow in those footsteps, right? As we begin reading through the Torah, it's a great time to pursue greatness by this definition. Now, I was finished with my message yesterday. And then I read something, a little snippet. I haven't even read the book, just a summary of the book. I don't know if it's by a Christian, a Jew, an atheist. I don't know who, who the guy is. But the book is called The Second Mountain. And I have an idea that it might be a great book. I'll report back. But as I said, I was done with my message. Ready to go home, light candles, eat salmon. But I read this quote. The first mountain, the book is called The Second Mountain, right? It's by David Brooks. The first mountain is the individualist worldview, which puts the desires of the ego at the center. The second mountain is what you might call the relationist worldview, which puts relation, commitment, and the desires of the heart and soul at the center. My core argument has been that we have overdone it with the individualist worldview. By conceiving of ourselves mostly as autonomous selves, we've torn our society to shreds, opened up division and tribalism, come to worship individual status and self-sufficiency, and covered over what is most beautiful in each human heart and soul. The second mountain, the core flaw of hyper-individualism is that it leads to degradation and pulverization of the human person. The first mountain is every single thing the world tells you you should have to be successful and happy. You scale this mountain and the top is wealth and honor and status and everything that the world can give you resides at the top of this mountain if you'll just climb it. And then you get there and you're alone and helpless and sad and disappointed. And you realize my God in heaven as you look from the peak of this first mountain to the higher second one that lies behind it. And that is the mountain of community and relationship and sacrifice for others. And true greatness resides at the top of that mountain, but most people will never leave it. They'll never go there because they are hyper-individualists. And this is what he says at the end. Hyper-individualism numbs these deepest longings and eventually creates isolated, self-interested monads who sense that something is missing in their lives but cannot 
even name what it is. If I just had, if I just was this, if I could just have that, or if I could just, 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 I'd be there. And they don't even know what's missing, and I'm telling you, it's the definition of greatness, as Yeshua explained it. The last thing about greatness as we began will conclude midrashically. Even Muhammad Ali learned that there's always something greater, didn't he? He got beat and he died from a disease. But listen, maybe in the moon's humility, there was no resistance to diminishing itself because the moon knew that even the sun, the incomparably great powerful, majestic, greatest of the luminaries in the sky, even the sun would be outdone by the greatest light of all. That for the time needed, the moon answered the call and would serve as the lesser role. And we talked about how the moon's not really less. It's more a part of our lives. But the moon submitted to that. And then... It knows that the return to the first day will bring us back to the light that was before the light. The new light that will shine on Zion. The light that outdoes a million suns. And that that greatest light that makes the sun and moon look dark in comparison. That is the light we couldn't handle then. We weren't great enough for it. But in the world to come, in the world to come, that spiritual radiating light from the glory of Hashem, the day is coming for those who believe when we will bask in that glorious light, that great glorious light. And guess what? You will never have to worry about diminishing yourself again. We will be at the peak of the way beyond the second mountain way beyond. And that light will shine. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illuminated. And its lamp is the Lamb. Interesting to take note, though. There's something that happens there. There is no more worry about who's who, who's great, who's the greatest, who's doing this, who's doing that, what do I need to do, or even a concern of who your status, your role, any of it. That's not there anymore. And right now, the world is really built around separation, and we're seeing it so profoundly in politics, in society, in race, religion, everything. It's built around this negative separation. But the truth is, from the beginning, the world was built around separation. God did that. Not that kind of ugly, hellacious separation, but he made separate things from the beginning. Light and dark, firmament that separates between water and water, sun and moon, holy and common, Sabbath and the six days, even Jew and Gentile. A separation. But Rabbi Eli Monk says this, 
These separations should not be considered as naturally occurring and representing eternal, unchangeable, definitive states. Separation between light and dark is destined to be overcome in the future. When? When a new light will sign in Zion. Through the moral forces of mankind, the separation of Israel and the nations will disappear. All nations, all peoples will at least be united in common worship of the one God. All differences will dissolve to give honor to the supreme greatest God. The Sabbath and the six days will give way to the time of continual Sabbath and continued rest in the world to come. And those, my friends, will truly be the greatest of days, right? That's what we're working for. May redemption come soon. May we, in this new cycle of the Torah, achieve the greatest greatness possible, according to the definition of Torah and of our teacher Messiah, which is, the greatest among you shall be the servant of all. May we excel in that role this upcoming year. And yes, may a new light shine in Zion for all who merit its light. Shabbat Shalom.